Are you still suffering from supply chain issues? Are they disrupting your operations? Well, have no fear because Graybar has you covered and you can rely on their nationwide logistics network to get what you need, where they need, when they need to get there and all within budget. Graybar is a trusted and leading North American distributor of electrical communications, data networking, industrial products, literally supporting products of any industry, construction, hospitals, industrial plants, schooling, it doesn't matter. Just one clear mission to serve as that vital link in the supply chain, adding value for customers and suppliers with innovative solutions and services. So here's what you need to do. Visit graybar.com to start an order today. Visit graybar.com to start an order today and fix those supply chain issues with Graybar. First cut. Golly. Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your recap episode for this week's Hero World Challenge. Joining me to break it all down, Greg Ducharme is here. Greg, what up? What's going on, guys? What a Sunday that was. That was, I mean, that, that was uh, unexpected, to say the least. Last night, this thing looked like it was over and anything but. Kyle Porter is here and KP, we literally started the show. The 30-second countdown began. We did not have you. And here you are as we go live from the top rope. Good to see you. Welcome. Yeah, I just didn't want to I didn't want to talk to y'all beforehand. I wanted to just jump in. I've lost my voice. I went to the Oklahoma State Baylor game on Saturday. Took my son to his first college football game. How was it? Devastating. Obviously, Oklahoma State loses. Now, I mean, we, we had a great time. It was super fun. Um, I think the lesson from Sunday is that Colin Morikawa is not a closer. You know, I think that's the one thing that we've learned about him over the course of his career is that he can't close out wins. I can't even get through that. Have you guys ever watched this uh, this downhill skiing? It came on right after the hero. I saw it. Yeah. Dude, it's I know people are, into, people are into F1. This is insane. Like who, they, they go like they're going like seventy miles an hour or something nuts down that down the down the mountain. There's probably a bunch of people that uh, Hovland knows too. There's probably a bunch of his friends that are doing this. I was looking up uh, top Norwegian athletes earlier. I mean, they're obviously all like winter winter Olympics, like medalists in in all of these yeah events I've never heard of or could never imagine doing. So yeah, I'm I'm going to assume he knows every single one of those one of those people. Out there. <laughs> he talked. <laughs> <to Paris. laughs> I, I have this in my book, but he talked about these Norwegian uh, cross country cross, cross country skiers in one of his press conferences this year. He goes, "Oh, you know, oh, uh, yeah." Do you remember this? Uh, I yeah, Board, I just had it? this guy up. Um, I'll find it. Yeah, it was at the Northern Trust. If that helps you look for it, but no, I'm going to different. Uh, <laughs> I mean, listen, my my ability to jump from Oklahoma State Baylor at at uh, AT&T to Norwegian skiers is unparalleled. Do you have the guy's name? Was it Ole Einar Bjorndalen? Yes. Yeah, he talked about him as if he was like basically his version of of uh, you know, MJ to us. Yes, that's exactly what he is. So he is a <laughs> he is a 13-time Winter Olympic Games medalist, uh, another 45 medals at the Biathlon World Championships. Yes, he is. Uh, 45 to, medals. 
According to this website and many other websites, like the God Norwegian athlete. Ol Ol Einard, what? Bjorndalen. Born Bjorndalen. Everyone wants to be like Ol Allard. Uh, I'll let you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you finish it. Be like, uh, be like him. Be like, be like Bjorn Dahlen. Uh, yeah, Bjorn Dahlen. So does that mean that Hovland was like laying there as a young kid with po- his posters all over the place, sleeping next to a ski pole? Like, what? I mean, what's that? I, yeah, I could see the MJ guy, right? You got a basketball, you're laying in bed, shooting it up at, and catching it. What, what do you do if you dream of being a a legendary cross country skier? You sleep with, there he is. Sleep with the goggles this is, on. I think. Listen, you're not getting this on any other podcast. Nobody's going deep on this retired Norwegian professional biathlete and coach. King of king of biathlon. The king of biathlon. Phenomenal. Um, the well, Greg. To your point, Victor didn't start playing golf until he was like 13. So which I guess for the first, which is nuts, because that was only like 11 years ago. Uh, the maybe he was dreaming of being Bjorn for the first 12 years of his life. So hard to imagine. It was a weird Sunday because for the first, I don't know, half of it, a little bit more, everyone was melting down, KP. Colin Morikawa mm-hmm. included. Our five-shot lead overnight uh, vanished instantly and it seems like everyone was allergic to the lead. No one wanted to get there. Their Patrick Reed was hitting shots left-handed. Brooks Kepka was making doubles. They were, they were, it was out there. It was, it was craziness. Um, just let, let's go through this a little bit chronologically. This thing got wide open very early into the round where after a couple of holes, Morikawa, Morikawa was, was giving it away and, and, and no signs of, of finding his game. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it, he shot, what, 41, I think, on the front. He had, I think, two doubles and a bogey, I believe it was. I think he, had real, a, he did have a birdie, too, though. On eight, he made birdie, right? No. Uh, I don't think so. No? Oh, no, he, so he made uh, double on four, double on six, bogey on nine, uh, out in 41. So I think the the thing that really stood out to me, Rick, was – I, as it was playing out, I really had this sense that that uh, your boy Sam Burns was going to emerge because it just it 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 had this feeling of like man Burns has kind of had I would say him and Berger maybe the most underrated years in terms of the way like the the level at which they've been playing with with they've got a few things I mean they they've both won Burns won multiple times but you haven't you don't I don't know I I don't think people when they hear Sam Burns' name they think you know, playing at this level. And it just felt like this was going to be kind of a, an entry into that of like, Oh, Sam, Sam, wait, Sam Burns beat out, you know, uh, JT and Morikawa and all these guys. And then he makes a seven on, uh, was it, what was it? 14? Yes. Oh, that was so, that was, that was the one that I was like, Oh man. Like I, it felt, it felt like it was kind of his to lose there for a second. And then he, he went out and lost it. And then Hovland took over. I mean, making the American, the Eagle Eagle, uh, I think Shane Bacon dubbed that the American, uh, and then, uh, a birdie to follow that up. He was, you know, so it was, it always is a little shaky with him coming in. Uh, and it was this time as well, but you, you really, 
you know, there's always a point in, in these final rounds where somebody is kind of like, you know, uh, like stamps the final round with their name. And that felt like what he was doing as he made those two Eagles on 14 and 15. Holes out from the bunker, Greg, on 14 for Eagle number one. That's a hole that he eagled not once, not twice, but three times this week. He backs it up with another Eagle on the par five. 15th and a birdie on 16 to play that three hole stretch at five under. That's really where he solidified himself at the top of the leaderboard. And he had a little bit of cushion uh, coming in, which he put to good use because he bogeyed 17 and 18 to win by one shot, but he gets the job done. 14. You, you make Eagle there three times in the week. That's three twos on par fours. That happens from time to time. It's still rare, but it happens on par fives and it, it seems much more realistic, but to, Get it up and down from the tee on a, a nearly 300-yard hole three out of four days is remarkable. But to th- I think of what Sam Burns did at 14 and what Victor Hovland did at 14. Their, their tee shots weren't that dissimilar. It, yeah. they, very, they were in quite similar circumstances. And I know Burns didn't hit a great chip, but you just think if Hovland's ball misses and, and gets going past the flag, it could have been a disaster there too. And it highlighted to me this kind of setup. I, I love this kind of setup because it offers plenty of birdie opportunities. You have a chance to go shoot 65 or better. And at the same time, anything can happen down the stretch. And so while it may not be the most fun course to play, cause you're going to lose some golf balls. When, when you watch tour players play on this style of golf course, I, I think it's the most entertaining and the best style we talk about a lot do you want to see the guys go go really low and tear it up and shoot 25 under or do you want to see the the rounds that are closer to par i i look to events like this as kind of the ideal viewing experience because there's opportunity you get to see great play and towards the end there we started seeing eagles all over the place Uh, people were chipping in and making shots and it was there was good golf but at the same time there's a penalty and it it, it penalizes bad shots. It really separates really bad shots from from good shots, which I, I think this golf course did a really nice job of that. And Hovland was on the on the better side and definitely put his stamp on it towards the end. There was like a 30-second window where Hovland made eagle, then Burns made eagle, then Berger holed out from the fairway for yeah. eagle. And I'm like, oh, my God. After all the horrible golf we've seen all day long, now these guys can't oh, stop oh, making, oh. making eagles coming in. Uh Greg, do you feel like this is a course that is, this is such a subjective thing. And I'm curious about your opinion because you're, you're really good on, uh, I don't know, just like course architecture and and these types of questions, but do you think it's a course that's challenging enough? Like, is it difficult enough for these guys? Yeah, I I think so. Um, again, you, you see a, a big difference between the guys that play really well and the guys that don't. And so it, it's quite easy when you see somebody go out there and this is, I know Morikawa had a lot on the line, but, but Brooks Kepka didn't really have anything on the line. And it's a, it's like, a, it's a get together. It's a celebration of a, of a great year, an opportunity to go and, and play Tigers event. It's not the biggest deal in the world, but you, so, so that reduces pressure to some degree and you still see some of the best players in the world going out and shooting 74 and 75. And then you, you can see on the other side, 65. And it, 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 the reason for that is when you hit it offline, many times on tour, we see the opportunity to recover. And that's when you really see the best players succeed when they hit it, They hit a really bad shot. 
off the tee, but now they have an opportunity to still make a birdie or a par. And that's when the difference, like you talk about it all the time, Kyle, strokes gain measures how you really played. And, and this golf course asks players to be really steady. You really have to control your ball throughout the entirety of the week. Otherwise you get penalized and you don't have that chance to recover when you hit it offline. So looking at a, a Victor Hovland, um, performing the way he did, it's a sign that he was he was the best ball striker for the week. And there are many, many weeks where Morikawa walks away with it, even hitting the air and shots that he did um, on that front nine. Yeah, two, two quick things on that. Uh, JT and, and uh, Morikawa finished tied for fifth. Their Sunday rounds were 12 strokes apart, which I thought was, I mean, in terms of the setup, I think the thing that, I would like to be harder that you can't really control is, is um, the greens are just fairly straightforward. Like you, it, they're not, yeah. you, you know, they're they're It's not like, I, I won't even say a major change. It's not like a Muirfield village, right? Where it's like, Oh, this, this can get like, this is tough. Like you gotta, you gotta kind of like pick your spots here and the greens are small, but they're not like, I think the undulation of them is, is not super difficult. And then the other thing, you mentioned Hovland and Morikawa. Those were, if you look at strokes gain, ball striking for 2021, those are your, those are the two guys. It's Morikawa one and and Hovland number two. And I think that I don't know that people think about Hovland in that class, but he he has been. And I think that you know the question for him going forward is, can you get yourself involved in a major championship? Because he hasn't finished in the top ten at one yet. I know he, I know it's stupid to say that because he's three years into his career, but he's at the level where your expectations now are like, you gotta, you gotta, you know what? It was kind of like with Rom, like you gotta contend for some majors. Like that's your, and and that's a great resetting of expectations for somebody. That's what you want. If you're a top player is like that. Our expectation is that you got and maybe not win, but at least contend for some. And I'm, I think he's got the game to do it. I'm interested to see if, uh, how that plays out over the next couple of years. Yeah. What fifth or sixth, um, worldwide win five. Two and Morikawa has six. Yeah, more cowboys are more are a little bigger. Right. Well, that's the thing. They they come up together, and they'll always be compared to one another, and and that's the biggest difference. Even if if this were Hovland six, if he wins the Century Tournament of Champions and ends up with six, you're still putting Morikawa head and shoulders above because his performance in the really big events like majors has been noticeably different. So I agree with you, Kyle. That is a it's a really big step for Hovland to take. Victor's won each of his last two starts, Mayakoba, and then obviously this event here. Five in total for his career. He is going to end the year as the number seven ranked player in the world. KP, uh, let's mine into that a little bit more because I think Greg's absolutely right. For good or bad, Victor and Colin are uh, they're always going to be compared against one another. If they came out a year apart or two years apart, I think we'd be talking about two really good historical paces for the first like 60 events of, of these guys' careers or whatever it is. But should we be treating them like I feel like we should be treating them as their own individual entities as opposed to trying to compare them to one another? Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard because it's a little bit like the um, take – burger out of the spieth jt group and you're like man burgers had a, a good career but he just gets buried by jt and spieth to the point i mean the problem is that jt and spieth are operating at like a top 
15 historical pace all time. And so you look at Berger and you're like, yeah, he's fine. And it's like, no, he's, he's pretty good. Like he's really good. And I fear that that's a little bit what we do with Hovland is like, man, winning 50 times, no matter whether that's Mayakoba or the, you know, he's won on the Euro tour. That's hard to do in your first 60 events. And it just gets, at least in my mind, a little bit buried by Morikawa winning the open and the PGA and uh, what else did he, oh, the WGC, you know? So, uh, yeah, I agree. I, I think that um, <clears throat> we should always take guys individually and separately. But at the same time, like I think, I think Hovland expects of himself to go out and and start doing that at majors. And I thought it was cool that the, I was reminded. I was thinking about it today. Those two played against each other in the Ryder Cup in singles and shot a best ball fifty nine on Sunday, which I thought was it was great symmetry or it was just like a cool, like marrying of like what they've done so far over the course of their careers. Yeah, it is. It's, it's fascinating stuff. Final, final point on this, Greg, and we'll move on. Is the, is that class and you can throw Matthew Wolf into it. When we look back at that class in 20 years, is that going to be one of many classes because these guys are getting better, younger, they're more prepared to come out on the PGA tour. They all know their numbers launch monitor wise. They know they can contend. They know they can compete. Or is this going to end up being a historical class from what we've seen? What two and a half years in? We see that. Yeah, it's a, it is. It's a really good question. And I would break it down this way. When everybody, when, when players start getting better, younger, and they know their numbers and they, all those things you mentioned, it has a way of leveling the playing field. And so you you get um, less standouts. There are a lot of guys who are really good, a lot of guys who can win, a lot of guys who compete, but there are fewer standouts. And the thing that makes Morikawa, Hovland, and I I think Wolf belongs in that class too, the thing that stands out about those three is they have less so Wolf, but Hovland and Morikawa have really become standouts. And, and it's starting to look like their career totals are going to rack up pretty quickly. Um, this, of course, we know what happens to players like Jordan Spieth and Ricky Fowler. You, you can, and, and many more, many, many more across the board. There are slumps through careers, but it, it doesn't really look like there's a chink in the armor for these guys. And a lot of that has to do with their makeup. It has to do with what they do really well. And they're so steady tee to green. It's hard to see them going through a swing change or making some dramatic change with their full swing that throws off their swing. And they may have a bad year, but I don't really see it being that bad. I mean, so I kind of am expecting these totals to just slowly rack up and, and become really impressive. And then you have Morikawa who's already got two majors at this young age. And, and now you have a, a legendary player in the making. Um, you have, and and if Hovland uses that as energy and tries to catch him and becomes a, or catches him or becomes a second fiddle to that, you, I mean, you have legendary players. So I, I really do think this class is going to be remembered for a long time. And these two have to have their sights set on the hall of fame. What, what's Morikawa's ceiling? He, he has this way of just picking them off. So I, I don't know if you can put a ceiling on him. I mean, I, I look, is he going to win 15 majors? I, I don't think so, but I, I think he has the best chance of anyone right now playing to get to double digits. He's, he's got a, off to a really early start. 
He's had really early success. His, as I said, his makeup, his tee to green makeup is going to put him in the mix everywhere he plays. And I, I mean, is it, I don't know how much bigger Augusta national is going to get of a golf course. I don't know if we're going to start going and I don't think we should start going to 8,000 yard golf courses every, every time, but I, I don't see the game outgrowing Morikawa to where he's short, which would be a, you know, the one concern with his ball striking game. I don't, I don't really see it going that way. Um, I, I think he can keep up distance wise. And now you have the best second shot player in the world. And, and most, most of the time when we go to really big golf course, really big events, um, these golf courses tend to be second shot golf courses. And if they're first shot golf courses, like you see in Florida, like, uh, you know, during that stretch, there's a lot more emphasis on accuracy and guys lose it when they're inaccurate off the tee. He's as accurate as it comes. And Hovland fits that same role. So I, I, I see a really bright future for these guys. I think it's a really solid foundation. I think real quick on this, Rick, uh, I think the concern is the concern that I've kind of voiced all year, which is, you know, all of a sudden, if you're Colin Morikawa, you've got deals with Rolex and Adidas, and you you, you have become a corporation, and that's <laughs> that's great. You shouldn't turn those down. That's not what I'm saying. It's just hard to maintain that for 10 years, for 15 years. You just – it's hard to maintain that kind of um, childlike joy for golf, which – has really emanated from him throughout 2021 or, or really the last th throughout his career, I think, and from Hovland too. And how do you maintain that while still being this kind of, you know, corporation that a bunch of people are, are heavily invested in. And, and I think that happens at a younger age now than it ever has before. And that's a really tough thing to, uh, to hold in tension with one another throughout the course of your career. It's not something we talk about very often. Valid. I wonder. I wonder what you guys think about this. They they are not the rock stars coming out. That although in the game of golf they are superstars. They they are not uh, the off the course rock stars that a Tiger Woods was, or um, or a Ricky Fowler, or even Jordan Spieth. I mean, those guys. It, it doesn't feel like that anyway. It feels like there's a little bit less attention on them, and I, I wonder if that'll remain if they can kind of stay under the radar a little bit off the course, or if their, if their careers go the way that I project, if that's just unavoidable. Vic, Victor's a rock star in Norway. And then I think he comes For over sure. here and he, and he gets a little bit of uh he gets to fly under the radar here a little bit. And then maybe that's a bit of a reprieve for him. So we'll, we'll see, but he's absolutely a rock star in Norway gets his fifth win worldwide. Congrats Victor two in a row. And it was not without, a bit of a challenge, or at least challengers, because the boys started to play well down the stretch. One in particular, Scotty Scheffler here, KP, who birdied six of his final eight holes, is going to finish one shot behind Victor, and uh, he, he does this. I don't really – was he in contention at all this week? And then he just kind of goes on a run on the back nine on Sunday and and piles, up, piles on another runner-up finish? Uh, and I thought – you know, impressively, the four on 18 after he hit it, I don't, I didn't see where his ball ended up, but I saw it off the tee and it wasn't great or it didn't look great. Uh, I, he's a little bit of the Xander thing for me that I've always been kind of vocal about. Hey, do something from out in front rather than trying to shoot a 62 on Sunday. 
Um, and it's it, it that's probably a little unfair to him and to Xander because it's like, well, who cares how you did it? You still went out and and got it done. But yeah, I don't know. He he needs to win in twenty twenty two. I think I, I don't care if it's Colonial or the Masters or whatever. Just just something to kind of um, I, I I don't like the word validate, but to kind of. I don't know. Like, like, like winning's a skill, and there are times where I'm like, has he just not kind of run into one at the level that he's been playing yet, or does he not have the skill of winning? You know, and and so I think that's a question that I a little bit have about him going into to the next couple of years. We play that game a lot, Greg. Which is like, who needs to win the most? And after Tony got one recently, and Abraham Answer got one recently, it feels like the answer to that question is Scotty Scheffler. Now, I don't think he needs one, but like he's the guy who needs it the most. Whether that's a five out of ten or a six out of ten, I think he needs one. Yeah, he does. You don't want it to become a thing, and and it's becoming a thing now. This this second place finish. Look, he was seven shots back entering the day. And he shot 71 in the first round there. And then he shot 68 in the second round. There, there was never to your point, Rick, he was never in contention to the point where anybody was thinking, well, Scotty Scheffler could win. And, and maybe this is his opportunity. So this is a great second place finish. It, it ends up being um, all positives for him. And it, it puts a nice stamp on this fall season, but I completely agree with Kyle that he he needs a win. He has a way of kind of having something happen where there's a letdown. It just feels when you watch him like you're going to get let down. Even today, he made a triple today on the first nine. He shot 66 with a triple bogey. So that takes him even further out of contention. And so this was a nice round, but it's not under the highest amount of pressure. And when that pressure really rises for him, it, he's had some issues and had some struggles. The benefit is he's put himself in position where we talk about him this way. Yeah. Again, it's not the consistent T15s where everybody's impressed, but he hasn't had the letdown. He He's had the letdown. And sometimes that can fuel you, but um, but he's got to use it as fuel and not let it become a burden, which there's a very fine line between those two things. I'm, I'm working towards this. I'm getting there. I'm going to win soon. And can I win? And that question, you don't know when that happens, but um, it, but if he doesn't win this year, that those questions will be a lot more intense. The third place finisher, one of them, Sam Burns, continues his upward trajectory, continues his impressive play. And KP, if he didn't spend three or four shots on the side of 14 <laughs> on Sunday afternoon, uh, he might have been in a playoff or we might have been talking about Sam Burns winning the Hero World Challenge. Otherwise, he was pretty darn good all week long. Again. Yeah, he was good. And again, like I alluded to this when we were talking about Hovland, but like he he's a little bit in the Hovland category for me. I, I don't I don't think he's quite as good as Hovland, but he's not that he's not that far away from him. And so for me, it's go ahead. Uh, I would I should double check. He's like twenty five years old. He's yeah. twenty. Yeah, he's twenty five. He just turned yeah. twenty five six months ago. He oh might be God. younger than. Uh, uh, oh gosh, I'm really tired right now. I can't remember who finished second at the Masters this year. Will Zalatoris. Zalatoris. Thank you. He, he might be younger is, than Zalatoris. He is a 
Uh, okay, Zaltoris was born in August. Sam Burns was born in July of the same year. So they're the exact same age, basically. Yeah, yeah. Which is crazy. Zalatoris is always my go-to for somebody that's older than you think he is. <laughs> yeah, he is actually. Yeah, they're three weeks apart, but yeah, I would not have guessed that Zalatoris was and, twenty-five. <laughs> and Burns is definitely younger than you think he is. And all, all that to say, like, I think he's in the category for me of a Havon, where it's like, okay, you've you've kind of showed me like everything I need to see. Now the next step for you is you don't have to win a major. I think it gets silly when you're like, you got to win a major. It's like, dude, I don't know. Like so much of that is luck. There's only four year, but to like contend in a major, that's not, unre- that's not an unreasonable ask for Sam Burns, which is, which is awesome for him. I wouldn't have said that about him. I don't know this time last year, definitely not this yeah. time, two or three years ago. And that's a pretty cool thing it, that you've kind of worked your way to that point to where you're at the pe- people's expectation of you is that you contend at, at the masters in April. Um, yeah. And, and I think that uh, that's where I'm at with him right now. Yeah. If, if the dorks on this podcast uh, are asking you to win a major or contend at a major or get, you know, you're so good, you need a win. Like that's generally a good place to be. And yeah. we don't say that it's about the, the bad guys. Time. Yeah, <laughs> but I think I think uh, Burns is a great comparison. Hovland and Burns are a great comparison. Burns has done it a different way because he he ended up being a really good iron player. But they the last two years, at least they have both their weakness is the short game. And it's very clear. So Sam Burns now the last two years has been an excellent iron player. Two years before that, he was not a not a, outside the top 130 both those years. And and last year he was excellent, and this year he's been one of the best on tour so far. Um, always been a great putter, but the short game has been something that uh, a, a big weakness. So it it is cool to see him become an elite ball, an elite ball striker, which he is. His worst finish so far this year. We know what happened last year, but but this year in the fall, his worst finish is t fourteen. He just yeah. keeps on coming. It, it's been fun to watch. Uh, KP, you mentioned there was a time you thought Sam Burns was going to win this as kind of everyone was melting down. I thought that guy was Patrick Reed, who finished Mm. T3. And I'm thinking, oh boy, here we go. Patrick Reed's going to do it. His form coming in outside of the pop at Bermuda uh, was horrible, but he kind of gets himself in these, in these positions. And, and when he gets in contention, you, you always think he's capable of winning despite having to uh, play back-to-back holes, uh, one shot each left-handed. He's like a scrambling machine, found himself at 15 under par when the when the week was over. Yeah, he's had a few memorable moments in the sand on, on this golf course before. Uh, he uh, Speaking of, like uh, all jokes aside, he's really good on this course. I think if you look at strokes gained over the last – well, just historically at this event, because I hadn't, how long has it been played here? Five years, six years? This was the sixth, years? I think. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think he's got the best strokes gain number. So, and I think, I think it makes sense, right? Because this is a course where we talked about it all week. The greens can get a little small depending on the pin positions and his short game is magic. I mean, it's, I mean, sometimes it's like, you know, disappearing act magic, but it's, it's, it's always uh it's always magical like his hands are really good and so it makes sense that he would uh that he would play well here and and he kind of he was a little shufflery for me and that he kind of just sneaked his way around all week didn't really go out and shoot that 64 to to kind of pop up 
he was just like 67, 68, 69. And then all of a sudden on Sunday, it's like, oh, so Reed might win here again. So, yeah, he uh, he ends the year. Uh, what was a really weird year for him with uh, with a good finish going into 2022. Yeah, super, super weird. Um, Greg, I want to move on to. I don't know. This might be the most interesting storyline of the week because our third 54-hole leader, five clear, shot the worst round of the day, a four over 76. That's Colin Morikawa to finish four shots off the lead. So that's a nine-shot swing, five up to four behind. And I think the takeaway for me was it was very un-Morikawa-like, right? If he just missed every putt, and what and shot two over, I'd be like, all right, whatever, no problem. Sprayed some shots off the tee, sprayed some approaches, was looking in the bushes a lot. Um, did not have the Morikawa mojo on this Sunday. You couldn't have said it any better. It, it, the thing no one expects is it to be the ball striking that leads to the collapse, which this is a collapse, right? I mean, it. I hate to say it, and I, I yes. love the guy, and he's been a great closer. But this is a collapse. Yeah. And friend, he's friend the of one the pod. That's but, away. But when you, yeah, when you, when, I mean, five shot lead is like a, it's like an eighty percent conversion rate, Greg. And this wasn't even, and this wasn't even close. So yes, Colin, we love you, friend of the pod. But unfortunately, by the numbers, we have to file this one under collapse. Yeah, and so, um, like you said, it wasn't the putter. It was some double crosses off the tee. Uh, and and uh, with the three the three wood that went left, uh, what was that on seven? I think um, six, six or maybe? seven, six. six. Yeah, way. I mean, that is so uncharacteristic. And the reason he had a chance this week to become world number one is because he doesn't do that. And I, when I watch Colin Morikawa play, it, it's kind of it reminds me of like a a great three point shooter like Steph Curry, where. Maybe there's some weaknesses. Maybe he's not the best defender, not necessarily the biggest guy, but he just keeps on shooting and eventually he gets hot. And it feels like he has that. That's what kind of what he did at the Open Championship to me and the PGA and and um, and Congressional as well, where he just keeps on shooting. And his iron play is so good. He makes a ton of birdies. He has a ton of birdie looks. And we didn't see that at all today. Um, and so it was a really unique round. I have to look at it as a one-off, but the, the hard thing is that he had a chance to become number one in the world. And I wonder if that weighed on his mind. I'm sure every single question he got was about that and he answers them in exactly the right way. But um, I just, I wonder if that got, if that crept into his mind, if he started reading the papers, if he started dreaming about being world number one, but uh, all in all, I think we can really, kind of put this one behind us and expect Colin Morikawa to return in 2022, the same player that he was in 2021, if not better. Yeah, that's that's the the, the takeaway, KP, is this we started this day uh, prepared to give the coronation of Colin Morikawa becoming the number one player in the world. That will have to wait. He will end the year as the number two player in the world. Um, but that that's what we were expecting to have on the pod today. Jacob probably had the thumbnail ready. That's not the story here now. No, it's not. And, you know, the, I, I, I don't – we don't need to complicate this. The thing I wrote in my, in my grades column on CBSSports.com is, you know, golf remains undefeated. Like, as soon as you think, as soon as you literally think you're going to, you know, 
conquer it by, by becoming the, the very best in the world at it. Golf's like, no, you're going to shoot 41 going out on a course. That's not <laughs> super difficult in a week. You've been playing great and you're the best, uh, tee to green player in the world. You're, you're going to shoot a 41 with no birdies. And it's just, it's an idiotic sport. I can't believe these guys enter into it every single week, but it's what makes it fun. And I don't, I don't think it's that much more complicated than that. Fair enough. We'll go quickly here on some of these guys. Uh, JT, real quick, Greg, uh, newly LASIKed. LASIKed, is that a term I can use? Newly LASIKed goes out in 67. You're thinking, okay, this might be JT's week. Plays uh, you know, subpar golf uh, over the course of Friday and Saturday, but shoots the round of the day, eight under 64 to finish T5. You give the guy four guaranteed rounds, he's going to work his way up the leaderboard seemingly every single time. Yes. Um, I can't wait to see if if this changes his putting. Because, I, I mean, it's been a real weakness for him. And I watch, when I watch him putt, if you're just watching, you have the golf on, let's say it's not Sunday or it's, uh, you know, Thursday afternoon and you you just turn it on or um, not Sunday where you're so into every single shot. Uh, and and Justin Thomas has a putt. I, you just, you know, he's going to miss it and you know, he's going to miss it right. And he does it so often. I can't believe he contends and is always near the top of the leaderboard. I don't know how he shoots the scores he shoots when he misses putts that way. So I can't wait to see if the surgery helps, if it makes a difference for him, if it improves his putting, maybe the way he sees the line or something. Um, because he could really set the world on fire this year if if he figures that aspect out. Um, again, I don't think this is the greatest golf course for him because there's so much penalty, so much trouble off the tee. And those are the the two concerns that I have with Justin Thomas are the errancy off the tee. He can miss big when he misses and, and putting, um, especially that you'd like that eight foot range. You'd really like to make it, but it's not a game. He misses them right all day long. And so um, it was nice to see him get himself right back in the mix here. We all had him as a, a winner this week. And Friday and Saturday was disappointing, but it, it was nice to see. Um, it was nice to see that Sunday round. It was really, really good play. It might feel like a lot of golf has been played since this moment, and it has been, KP, but Bryson DeChambeau was our 36-hole leader. He led this event through two rounds. Shot a 73 on Saturday, 74 on Sunday, finished T14, and now... Uh, while this is not an official PGA Tour event, he has still failed uh, to ever convert a 36-hole lead or co-lead 0 for 8. Um, I don't know if that's worrisome or not, but that is a fact. That's really weird because, I, you know, if you look at his final round stats, Data Golf has a really good uh, tool that you can kind of sort out who – uh, like whose strokes gained historically are good when they enter the final round, the top five, top two, however you want to do it. Bryson's pretty good. Like in, in with, with, uh, when he's in contention on Sunday, his numbers, which is why Tory and, and Memphis were such an aberration. Remember earlier this year, he shot 44 on the back nine at Tory yeah. and then 41 in Memphis. And those were such an aberration from what he do normally does in contention. So I, I don't think I want to read a whole lot into the 36 hole thing, um, but it's not nothing. So I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not totally sure what it is. Do you have a, do you have a, uh, a hypothesis on it? 
luck. Isn't that what he said about the back nine at Torrey Pines? Yeah. Someone asked him about it. He said, what happened to the back nine at Torrey Pines? Did he shot a 41? He said, luck. And that's the no, only that, response he that, gave. That was nonsense. Uh, I got a, no, he said I, I got a couple I, of bad breaks. It's like you made an eight on 17. <laughs> I don't. I think that was more than a couple of bad breaks. Uh, no, I think that he, as we've talked about a lot, uh, by design, is a very volatile golfer. And without going through each one of those 30, I mean, 36 hole lead, a 30, a, a five shot 54 hole lead is not a given on the PGA Tour. I don't think we need to start looking at uh, who's converting 36 hole leads and co leads yeah. based on the way this it's works. Halfway, it's halfway through. Yeah. I mean, it, it's uh, it, it's so different the first two rounds versus the second two rounds. I, I look, would look very little into that. 54-hole leads is a different story. Um, and it's way more than 18 holes in a, would, in a strange way. Would you rather have a five-shot five 36-hole lead or a one-shot 54-hole lead? Well, there's no guarantee you're going to have a one-shot 54-hole lead with a five-shot 36-hole lead. Um, so that's a tough one. But it, there's just it, it, there's an eternity right? left. Yeah, answer it, Craig. <laughs> um, one shot. I'd rather have a one-shot 54-hole lead. I think I would, too. I think the more concerning thing for Bryson than the 36-hole thing this year is that he didn't finish in the top uh, 15, I think, in any majors. He just he, you know he he is he is volatile, which is really good, I think, but it can also be really bad. And uh, I don't know that that was surprising to me, especially after what he did at Wingfoot last September. But he did have the lead. He had the lead through nine holes at the yeah yeah the lead through yeah sixty three holes at the U.S. Open. And he finished T25. And right. you used him in your one and done that week. <laughs> yeah, that, that was so dumb. That's so stupid. This game is the this game, this sport is just the dumbest. One and done is hard. That that is frustrating. I mean that Can I uh, use Mike can I use Mike Thomas at the PNC? Yeah, you get access to gonna, Justin that way. Sure. Yeah. I'm not gonna use him anywhere else. So I'm gonna use I, Tiger to get access to Charlie. <laughs> All right, we'll talk. We got to talk about other stuff, but quickly, um, if you keep scrolling down the leaderboard, uh, you will find two golfers who were over par for the week, and you will find one uh, significantly over par. And that that man is uh, new dad, Jordan Spieth, who did not break 70 all week, KP, closed out with a six over 76 that was low lighted by uh, also playing the wrong tee on number nine and uh, getting penalized for that as well, which is always, always, a, always a great time uh, when things are, you know, things are already going south for you and you just play off the wrong tee. Yeah, I think that's just a case of trying to get in the house as fast as <laughs> as fast as I mean, the tee box was very it, there was a lot of like consternation about this. It's like, I don't know, dude, it said 17, like right, like right it's a on the huge right. sign right on the <laughs> tee box on both of them. And they were warned earlier in the week that that was going to happen. It, it's like, well, the, 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 they, the, both, they both and their caddies, yes. all four. Yes. Well, the transcript was really funny, too, because they were trying to explain it. And Spieth was telling the story and he said, you know, I teed up first. And then and then Michael was uh, Michael Greller was like, uh, 
hey, it's not your box. It's still Henrik. Henrik has honors here. And Henrik jumped in and goes, well, now you're making us look like we don't know what we're doing, which is exactly <laughs> what it sounded like that they were doing. Which they actually have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> the wrong box, entire physical box. That's so which I good. thought was uh, – and then Spieth had a quote about, I didn't think we were going to be penalized because it was a, it was a uh, charity event. But then, I've, then I remember that there were OWGR points at stake, which, by the way, that reminds me. Do you guys think this is a harder event? I, I threw this on Twitter. Do you think this is a harder event to win than the Olympics or easier? Way harder. I think the, it's harder. The top 20 in this event are – or the only 20 in this event – are way better than the top 20 in the Olympics event. And like the bottom 40 or whatever in the Olympics probably don't have a, cho- a shot at even winning it. Yeah. This is way harder. That, it's a tough I think question. So too. You just, you, you have a 20 man field and then you start, you can kind of whittle away, I guess it, probably a little more after the first round, but there, there's a big question in this event of, of who's really, who's really gunning for it. Right. Is there a lot to play for? Man, maybe the same. Maybe the Olympics is the same thing. I guess. I guess it is probably this one. You just have better. You have better players. Yeah, and I think. I think we. Everybody's like, oh, it's like a vacation for them. It's like I don't know Thursday morning. Like those guys are so psychotically competitive that it's. It, it, it's not like I don't. Know, it, it's not like guys are out there just trying to get through the round. I mean, maybe by Sunday, but not early on. They're trying to win the event. They're trying to. They're yeah. trying to get a win. But you wonder what's the what was the preparation going in and fair that's fair yeah but I'm with you on Thursday and I'm with you on Sunday because I look at what happened with Spieth and and Stenson and that's just we're trying to get we're just getting through a round and and you don't you're not reading the paperwork and you're not you're just you're not fully it's not that you're mailing it in and you're just hitting a ball and you don't literally don't care about it at all but you're you're not fully engaged you're not taking care of the details you're not paying attention at the same level as you would in say a major championship or a regular pga tour event yeah did so they got the penalty and they had to go back and replay the hole is that what i heard right yeah yes it's like a double double penalty you can't even you don't even get to use your original t-shirt you gotta go play it again well you gotta right because you have to you have to correct the you have to correct the decision if you play it on if you tee it off on the next hole before that was found out, you'd be DQ'd. That's what happened in the Outlaw Tour, I think. So remember when we got, finally got Outlaw Tour golf last summer or last uh, March? Sit like 15 guys that got DQ'd because they played the wrong tee box and then continued to play. I remember that. I hole. never thought I would ever hear that's what happened at the Outlaw Tour. I never <laughs> thought I'd ever hear that line. <laughs> so good. Jacob, were you jumping in? I was just going to say there's a, there's like a viral TikTok or Instagram reel that goes around and it's this guy and he like, he's showing the rule in the rule book that says it's a two stroke penalty if you tee up from the wrong area. And then it's just him teeing up, putting his tee in the ground, like an inch away from the hole and tapping it in <laughs> and then writing three on his scorecard <laughs> just on every single hole. On. Yeah. But that is that's, not correct. That would, that's. <laughs> That's a interesting interpretation of the rules. Yeah. There's probably some. There's probably a few guys on tour that might try that if you if you threw it out in front of them. There, producer Jacob. Uh, I love that. Also, I love. Um, we are getting some great comments in the chat. Okay, so I incorrectly pronounced 
Bjorn Dalen. That B J O R N is pr- uh, pronounced bear, apparently. So, Ole Enar Bear Dalen. He's your Norwegian stud. So, thank you for the correction on that. We are going to update our expert picks. That's what we did this week. And um, yeah, we will talk about the host of this event, the guy who wears uh, red and black on Sundays, lots of major championships. That guy, yeah, we're going to talk about him. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. I do my best to live a healthy lifestyle. I try to get out there, work out, break a sweat when possible. I'm not necessarily a fitness or a a wellness freak, but I'm just trying to be a little bit healthier every single day, which is where Sun Warrior comes into play for me. It is a plant-based, eco-friendly, performance-boosting, all things brand that I want to talk about. And it's their active nutrition line that is something that I've been messing around with over the course of the past couple of months. And it's really working out for me because with protein, creatine, pre-workout and hydration, these products are designed to optimize your performance. And I'm always up for optimizing any aspect of my life, even boosting my own energy reserves or being more hydrated after a long day in the gym or on the golf course. It really does turbocharge my recovery. It's something that I really take seriously and it's real nutrition for real life. So go check out sunwarrior.com and use code first. And we're back. Quick little update on our expert picks. Uh, we did, eh, we did all right. Um, top fives. I had Xander, Mark had Tony Finau. Those were losers. Greg, you went with Sam Burns, plus 230. Cash that ticket, sir. Yeah, um, I expected him to have a good one. So it's not top five's tough. That's really tight. Um, so that, that's definitely a good win. I'm, I was uh, proud of him. And You were proud of him or you were proud yeah, of yourself? Yeah, proud of Sam. And well, my <laughs> Sam myself. And yeah, and KP, you had the winner. <laughs> As the top five, plus 170, Victor Hovland. Yeah, I didn't I, – I I legitimately almost picked him to win, and then I was like, ah, the t- you know, the the short game, I just don't know if I totally trust it. And then, obviously, he was – I mean, the, the bunker shot that he made on 14 on Sunday was – that was sick. Also, it might have rolled all the way, like, 20 yards off the green if it doesn't hit the stick. But, uh, yeah, top five, cash it, let's go. The three of us had Justin Thomas. He finished T5. I think we're fine with that result. And uh, because we can nudge Mark and and needle him, who had Jordan Spieth winning this thing, and he finished 24 back. 24 back. I was trying to do the math real quick. Just 24. Top 20, though. He got a top 20 out of it. Yeah. You love to see it. I mean, 100 grand and uh, OWGR points. Sure. No problem. (laughs) It's a nice week. Nice week for Tiger Woods, who, mm. yeah, that's that's the that's the reaction. Who, you know, I think might have been playing it a bit coy in his uh, pre-tournament presser, where Greg, I think he was saying, you know, haven't been able to practice all that much, haven't been able to real really swing it. He responds to that by uh, hitting the range four out of the last five days with cameras in sight, hitting everything from wedges to drivers. Uh, getting the internet all uh, hot and bothered. He knows how to do that. And he doesn't have to do much to get that going. Um, now, the thing that I really do find interesting, if you ask me at the beginning of the week, even after, af- well, especially after his presser, but um, but at any point before this, if, if he was going to play the PNC, I would say no. And he kind of told us how far away he was from 
competing. But the PNC has um, a very different, there's a different reason for playing. Right? You can, one, you can take a cart. Two, he gets Charlie out there, which I'm sure he wants to do. I'm sure he's begging for. So I, I think that adds a really interesting element to Tiger's desire to, to play. And then the other thing, and the first sign that I've seen that actually makes me consider this, I, I don't really think he's going to play, but he, four out of five days is a lot. And that's more than I would have guessed he could do. So when you when you can practice at least that much, it's got to be a positive sign. It's got to point in that direction at least a little bit. Um, but I, I still am 60-40, he won't play. Yeah, I would have been about zero, like 0% zero that he was going to play KP, but this is really, um, I don't know. I'm not going to get everybody's hopes up. I'm not going to get my hopes up, but he's out there swinging, and he looks good. He's got good, um, you know, he mentioned he's got lack of lack of distance, but that motion, man, still there, still still, still breezy, still got the hands. Yeah, I have I... – <laughs> Feels like we were hoodwinked on two on uh, whenever that was Tuesday when he talked, right? Yeah, because I don't know. It, it is different. It's like okay, you took ten swings on the. Oh, it wasn't ten. It was more than that. But you took you took some hacks on the range. That's very different than playing at a tour level. But there's not really like an inhibition there in his swing. You know, it's it is is the ball speed what Bryson's is probably not, but. It's not, you know, it doesn't need to be at a lot of the, well, some of the tournaments that, that he would play in. So I don't know. I, I think that Tiger has been, I, I, I could be mis like construing this. I think he's been fairly uh, not straightforward with like details on his injuries and his, like how he feels, but pretty straightforward with like the, um, broader picture of like hey it's not good right now right or it's okay right now or you know like just kind of these broad terminologies i feel like he's fairly honest about that and this time it's like man he painted a pretty bleak future that again was different than when he said at this tournament a few years ago hey everything's gravy because at that time he was still super like he 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 didn't have the 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 uh, the spinal fusion fix like he does now, and he was like really really in pain. And yet and and this time he painted a picture that was just kind of like almost indifferent about the future because he didn't think that he would be able to practice enough to get there. And then he went out and practiced four out of five days. <laughs> I know. I don't know what to do with that. I I don't feel like I'm am I misconstruing the way he has kind of real like relayed his how he feels over the course of his career i don't think so i think he's been he's, he hasn't been honest about it but he hasn't been like purposefully like deceitful i don't think no he's just private he gives you as little he has been really good through his career in the in the press about saying nothing right being asked a question giving you enough to be satisfied but not really giving you anything at all and so it leads to conversations like this, where all we have is questions. It, it's, I mean, he's been very good at it. it. They're not lies, but they're they're not Rory McIlroy answers or Phil Mickelson answers. That's for sure. <laughs> well, the moment that most people are waiting for, 
and I, again, things I've never imagined I say, is the PNC Championship, which is 11, 11 days away as of this Sunday. So if you're listening to this on Monday, that's 10 days away. That's how time and math works. Uh, so KP, as we've talked about before, the PNC Championship, man, they're they're holding that spot because why wouldn't you for Tiger Woods? Um when do you think we'll know? When when's our drop dead date here? Well, I think my question is: Can he use a cart? I presume he can. I I've, he can use the court cart on the senior tour. You think the PNC Championships laying down the rolls on carts? I I mean I don't know. Mike <laughs> Mike Thomas might be demanding as the defending champion. Who I mean who who can say? They'll let they'll let him ride a Segway down the, on the greens. They don't. They'll let him do whatever he wants. I, I think it. I think it would be like Monday of of that week. So the thirteenth, a week from tomorrow. So Monday right. the thirteenth. Yeah, because right, I mean, it, gonna, yeah, it kind of mirrors like because I didn't know that he was going to talk at the hero. Nobody knew that he was going to talk at the hero this week until Monday of this week. You know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think it would be something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he he wants to wait till the last possible moment, right? Because as he said on Tuesday, um, in his press conference, he doesn't know what what's going on with his back. Still, that's still a factor. And when he was healthy, you didn't know what was. Go- I mean, at the Presidents Cup, he didn't know what was going on with his back. He's yeah. he's playing some of the best golf, and Saturday morning he can't go because his back's tight. Uh, um, and just because he's hitting some balls now, and the leg is on the way on the road to recovery day to day, it still feels like he is very unsure of how he's going to feel. So I I think it'd be really a a long shot for him to say now that he's good to go. You want to hear the other teams? A couple of these. See, we've got got some interesting ones here. Uh, Henrik and son, Carl Stenson. Nelly and father, Peter. That's not Henrik and Carl Pedersen. Both Swedes, <laughs> believe it or not, no, <laughs> son. Um, this one feels interesting. This could be a favorite. Stewart and Reagan sink. How's Reagan's mm. game? Uh, his caddying's pretty good. Yeah, dad's pretty good. His um, hot tan line is very hereditary. Oh man, my wife. Every time she see, uh, I think it was Jordan. Jordan had to go barefoot in the uh, in the water this week at some yeah, point. Yeah, on Thursday. And his feet, listen, mine are exactly the same, but his feet could not have been whiter. They were like translucent. It hurt. It, I had to turn like <laughs> down the contrast on the TV. It was like crazy. <laughs> Def- defending champions, Mike and Mike and Justin. Uh, let's see. Gary, player, your your bud, KP, going with oh, yeah, grandson, going with grandson Jordan. And I'm sure if they don't win, right? He he just replaces them if they don't win, right? That's how this works. He's There's, got enough. Yeah, probably, probably so. Um, Imagine how serious VJ is going to take this event. <laughs> he's on the range right now. He's never not. Uh, wasn't uh, weren't the Coochers in it last year? Yeah, they're in it again. I mean, weren't they like in the mix to win? Oh man, I'm actually going to look up the PNC Championship lead. Did they play it last year, or was it two years ago? I think it was last year because because Tiger and Charlie played. Um, yeah, it was. Well, I think they I've finished second. Oh, Little John's in it. 
Yeah. Oh, uh, they, they were they were somewhere around there too, weren't they? Here last we go. time. Yeah, the Sings finished uh second behind Team Thomas. The O'Miras and Trevinos finished third. Kite and Kucher finished fifth. Team Woods finished seventh. Team Daly finished eighth. Hmm. Yeah. That was your leaderboard to PNC. Nelly. Uh they didn't play, right? This is her no, first but- year. Yeah, that'll be great. No, no that's gonna be awesome that, that she's in it, dude. She's stone cold. She's awesome. Yeah, she's, she's awesome. She, yeah, she's she's kind of cantlay-ish. Is that the most like um, maybe athletics? Not the right word, but that family between Nelly and Jess, the brothers. Uh, he went like four deep at Wimbledon, four rounds yeah. deep. Yeah, what is, that's that crazy. One he won a big, a big Australia. I don't think it was the Australian Open, but he won a really big tournament in Australia too. And the dad won the Australian Open, I believe. Yeah, oh, yeah, the dad's accomplished in his own right. It, it's a remarkable family. Uh, why am I blanking on the brother's name? I can't remember it either. It, it is it, Pete, is it uh, Sebastian? No. Sebastian, thank you. I knew it started with an S. Sebastian. So good. I think athletic might be the right word. It's just like, dang, at, at the highest level of sport, uh, they're they're getting it done. Yeah, and he like, won the uh, – uh, where is it? Uh, he won in Italy in May of this year. And then he he made it to – God, these, these uh, tennis Wikipedia pages are tough to figure out. <laughs> The 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 tennis people probably say that about the golf ones. Yeah. What are these sure. yellow and green squares? <laughs> what do they mean? So he made it to the fourth round of Wim- of uh, the French Open last year and the fourth round of Wimbledon this year. Those are his two best Grand Slam finishes, and he just What's turned twenty one. Oh, that's right. He's young. What's his rank? Uh, his highest ranking is he's he's in the top forty right now. I think uh I think if you can say this the the mother is the least successful of them all. She only reached a career high 26 in the women's rankings in tennis. <laughs> and, was, and wasn't an Olympian. So oh my god, those children were just like just bred to be uh, like top tier athletes. That's so It's like good. uh it's like the McCaffrey family. That's crazy. <sighs> I love it. Unreal. All right, gentlemen. Uh Hero World Challenge in the books. Any final thoughts before we get out of here? Or have we have we covered enough non-golf related stuff? I think we're yeah, we go. started with old Einar Bjorn's Bjorn Dahlen, and Bjorn we Dahl. ended we ended with Sebastian Corda. So I think I think the circle is Legend. complete. Yeah, I've gotten uh, about half a lesson of, of Norwegian in the chat. I think we've had a successful day. Congrats to Victor. Congrats to Jacob because he does great work and all the hard work behind the scenes. Thank you very much. That's great. Ducharme, you can find him on Twitter at TheRealGFD. That's Kyle Porter, who you can find at Kyle Porter CBS, And you can find me at Rick Run Good. This has been The First Cut, and we'll catch you next time.
Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.